Hello and welcome to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. We are here to root deep in God's Word so that we can live lives of unshakable faith. Welcome today. My name is Ben Jacobson. I am one of the pastors at Hope Lutheran Church in Fargo, North Dakota, and I am joined today by my colleague, Pastor Stephen Dunkel. Merry Christmas! A Merry Christmas indeed. We are glad that you're here. We're glad that the Christmas season is upon us. We've gotten a little bit of snow. We too. have. Although, you know, May is it's kind of melting too. So we'll see if we have it uh, when Christmas Day arrives. I hope so. And I hope we do because this year I was given a wonderful gift early. Okay. My very first snowblower. Oh, all right. Yes, I have been shoveling my driveway for the past Man. decade faithfully. Man. And finally, now you have I will be snow blowing like the rest of my neighbors. So you are just waiting for that snow to come. We got like an inch. It wasn't enough. I'm ready for that three to four. I've never been excited for snow until this moment. I do quite enjoy blowing snow. I don't get tired of it by the end of the winter. Maybe. Yeah, I haven't yet. Anyway, so... My back has gotten tired of shoveling. I could do it in my 20s, but it's time. Yeah, it's time. That's good. I'm happy for you. That's great. I One year I got a, a set of snowshoes. And it was one of the years where there was like no snow. Oh, no. So there was no <laughs> no opportunity to use them. But I have since gotten lots of opportunities to use those snowshoes. So, yeah, Christmas season right around the corner. What is your favorite tradition that you do as a family, maybe one you did growing up or one you do with your family now, or maybe it's the same. You tell me. Really, my favorite is reading Luke 2, mm. reading the Christmas story together. We did it every year, and it seems wherever my wife and I are in the world on Christmas, we are always reading Luke 2. So we're going to do uh, one of your favorite things today. Absolutely. We're going to read part, well, we're going to read a different portion. We did the beginning portion last week, but we're going to read a portion of Luke 2 today. After we hear one of your favorite Christmas traditions. Yeah, that's a good question. I talked last week about one of the favorite things is, is that we change our table prayer during Christmas and we sing. Um, I think I said that. And if I didn't, that's one of my favorite traditions. The other one is, you know... There's the meals that you eat only like one or two times a year, and Swedish meatballs is one of those mm-hmm. in our family. Um, I always enjoy that. I really have, I really like lefse. And As you should. Um, so making it and eating it. I actually like making it because I like eating it because it's never as good as when it comes right off the, uh, right off the griddle. So... Anyway. My wife was confused the first time she encountered Lefsa. Mm-hmm. She said, isn't this basically just a potato tortilla with butter and sugar? It's yes. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. That's why it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Anyway, there's lots of traditions. I hope that you lean into yours. I, you know, sometimes sometimes I'm torn. I think about some of the traditions are a lot of work. And I wonder, is it worth it? And a lot of them really are worth it to preserve uh, preserve some of that heritage and joy and all that stuff. So it's we're Jesus' birthday. Got to go all out. Yeah, you got to go all out. 
Uh, so we're going to, this is after, we're going to read from after Jesus was born in Luke 2. This is verse 21, and it begins with this. We're going to read 21 through 40. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and prayed to God, saying, Sovereign Lord, you, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. What stands out to you when we read that? What questions come to your mind? Well, first, what stands out is this is Jesus' baby book mm-hmm. right here. You've got Luke writing down Mary's stories. He's collecting these eyewitness accounts. And we've got these three stories here. We've got the circumcision and naming of Jesus. We've got this scene with Simeon. We've got this scene with Anna. And so those three, the circumcision, Simeon, and Anna, jump out right away. How about for you? Well, um, you know, I love that idea first 
before I go on uh, of this, that there's multiple scenes and multiple layers here. I think that's a really helpful way when we read a big chunk of scripture to, to break it down and to say, what, what are the different parts that I'm looking at? So I just, I appreciate that you did that. Um, uh, uh, something I noticed is that in the, the past weeks, as we've looked at Mary's response to realizing that, that she will bear the Son of God into the world, when we look at Zechariah's uh, response to the, to the, um, his wife becoming pregnant with John, um, they sing and they have like a song. They both have that. Mary has the Magnificat and Zechariah has a song as well. Um, and here Simeon has kind of a song too. Mm-hmm. And so I, that, that jumped out at me, um, because we probably should sing when we get good news right i know everyone's just breaking out in song i know and then the other the other thing that sticks out to me is just that there's a whole lot of holy spirit activity which Mm -hmm. we've seen in the in the chapters and verses leading up to this it's just this very active present holy spirit uh, in the lives of lots lots and lots of people Mm -hmm. around this this birth of of jesus so a couple things there so that kind of clues me in on Okay, what are the songs going to teach me, and what are I should be a, paying attention to the Holy Spirit in all this? Any questions you have when you read that? One of the questions is I have I was reading from a couple different translations, and the name in verse thirty six, uh, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, mm-hmm. but then I had in another translation it looked more like Samuel, but with a ph. Yeah. Uh, like a Fonwell. Yeah. So, you know. Or Manuel. Sometimes Fonwell. I wonder how names were pronounced and what things sounded like back in the day. Um, and we probably don't know for sure. Yeah. And that connects us to this identity of Anna. And so my three big questions first would be with this circumcision of Jesus. You know, what does that mean for us? You know, that Jesus is entering to this covenant that we as New Testament um, you know, following Paul's letters, Gentile believers, and we might have Jewish listeners as well, but as Gentile believers not required to be circumcised, and yet Jesus is fulfilling the requirements of the law. And then who is this Simeon? And, you know, how does he enter into the story? And then who is this Anna? And how does she enter into the story? So really a question with each scene as we see, you know, what and who are these figures that are introduced? Yeah, well, why don't we peek at each of those questions? So let's start with the naming and the circumcision of Jesus. So this is a uh, not just a tradition, but uh, a deep part of the religious experience of of the people in that day. Yeah. So, and, you know, kind of jumping back before jumping in, all three mm-hmm. of these scenes, we mentioned them as a bit of a baby book. Mm-hmm. So just remembering what we're reading, this is called the gospel according to St. Luke. So the book's not just called Luke, and it's not called Luke's gospel, because there aren't many gospels. There's one gospel, mm-hmm. and this is the gospel according to mm-hmm. St. Luke. So Luke, he's not one of the 12 apostles, but he does travel with Paul a bit. What he does is he goes around and he collects these eyewitness accounts. And so one of those eyewitness accounts that he gets is he gets to meet with Mary, the mother of God. And we actually have paintings because he was a physician. And Mm -hmm. so with that, he um, was great at drawing and painting the human body. And so we have these paintings that are attributed to St. Luke of 
Mary. And so there's one in the Vatican. There's one in this monastery called Mount Athos in Greek, in Greece that are said to be paintings of Mary made by St. Luke. So whether that's the, the case or not, we have this idea that Luke, he knew Mary. Hmm. And in knowing Mary, he said, tell me these stories about your son's childhood that we don't have written down in Matthew or Mark, that we're not going to have written down in John. What was it like to raise God? Hmm. And she gives him a number of accounts, and these are these earliest ones, when he's eight days old, when he's 41 days old. This is the baby book of our Lord. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to think about it. And if you go back, you know, I think a lot of times when we look at the 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 four gospel accounts, you know, we might wonder, well, why on earth do we need four if there's just one story? Mm-hmm. And and Luke actually talks about that at the beginning. He says, you know, many have 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 done this, yeah. have drawn up an account of this, but I want to do it too by going back to those eyewitnesses, as you said, so that there can be a good orderly account. So he's going to tell us things that Mark doesn't tell us, that Matthew doesn't tell us. And there's similarities, right? And of course, mm-hmm. the th- thread of the story is of course the same um but yeah that's a that's a really good observation so here we are the at eight days eight old. days so we really should be uh we're eight days after christmas at this point yep. right on the eighth day of christmas my true love gave to me what i can't remember i don't know oh, but yeah. happy new year <laughs> yeah. now that we're eight days <laughs> yeah. after christmas yeah that's good and in this new year when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name the angel before gave him before he was conceived. And so his name is given from an angel, which is, is really neat. We've looked at that text. And this name is Jesus, meaning he saves. He is the savior of the world. And so one of the first acts that he does as savior of the world is he is circumcised. And I'm guessing most of our listeners know what that is. It's a cosmetic surgery done to males. It was the way that Jewish men entered into the covenant, or became Jewish men, really, became a part of Israel. Mm -hmm. And yet this was the covenant for all of God's people. And so the way that it worked is if you were a male on the eighth day, you would be circumcised. Or if you were converting into Israel, if you were coming into Israel, you'd be circumcised then. And if you were a woman, then what you would do is you would be under the guardianship of someone who was circumcised. And so to be a part of this covenant, you had to be connected to um, this practice of circumcision. Now, as we move forward throughout the New Testament, we pick up on this language that Jesus is the bridegroom. He has come for us, his church, his bride, and he has become our guardian. And so, like someone like Ruth, the Moabite in the Old Testament, she becomes part of Israel through becoming the bride of Boaz, who was circumcised. We, as Christians, become a part of this covenant through our bridegroom, Christ, who is circumcised. And then Paul will go on to say people converting into Christianity, you don't need circumcision, you have it through Jesus. You are under the circumcision of Christ. And that might seem a little, you know, strange or awkward or or these sort of ideas, but it was really important to the first Christians as they figured out what does it mean that Jesus has come to be the Savior of the world Mm -hmm. and not just Israel? Mm -hmm. What does it mean that he fulfilled 
all of the law for us. And so right off the bat, Jesus, he's fulfilling the law. And circumcision, it, it involves bleeding. It's a cosmetic surgery. Mm-hmm. And so this is the first time that our Savior bleeds for his people, which is... Um, very, at a very young age. Yeah. Just highlighting that Jesus is the Savior of the world long before he's ever nailed to a cross. He is the Savior of the world as this baby, in this baby book, as the one that Mary holds in her arms. How about the second scene? Well, the second scene... Let's go there. We meet Simeon. And so the second scene, this is also filling the law of Moses, right? We've got these purification rites. And so what's that? Well... Mary, after she's given birth, there's this um, set of prayers uh, that happen for her, for her child, that take place at 40 days, or as it was in this specific situation, uh, the day after uh, 40 days have been completed. So Jesus, he's 41 days old right now, and they take him to the temple. Now Mary's with them in the scene, so they're in the court of women, And uh, we've got these references to how every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. That's Exodus 13. We've got this offering, the sacrifice of a pair of doves or two young pigeons. That's Leviticus 12. And so everything they're doing, they're just taking this blueprint that God gave us of what it means to have a relationship with him called the law of Moses. And Jesus, he's doing all of it. He's not missing a step. That's part of Luke's orderly account, right? As making sure we know that all the T's are crossed and I's dotted and... Yeah. Right? I mean... And the early church would do this. They called it um, churching, um, but the churching of mothers, but mothers after 40 days, then they would go to the church and there would be a special set of prayers that were said over them um, of blessing of motherhood and a blessing for their children. And so that's still practiced in, in some churches today, um, you know, this echo of these purification rites. Mm. So there they are, and uh, this man that they probably don't know, I'm guessing, comes up to them and uh, takes their baby in his arms. Yeah, yep. It's sort of a... <laughs> I always... I, I read that differently now that I have a child of my own. Some strange person comes up and grabs on... But he he's there for a reason and a purpose, and he has something to say. And we, so let's, who is Simeon? Yeah, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying all of these things. And like, well, wait a second, who is this strange man taking my baby? And my baby is the savior of the world. I've got to protect him. Yeah, right. <laughs> Although he can probably protect himself. Yeah. You know, with armies of angels at his uh, command. But here we have... Simeon. And so there are three possibilities for who Simeon is. And uh, I think they're all kind of fun. And so the first, and we're, kind of, we're going to kind of uh, go by age here. One of the things that we see is that Simeon, um, you know, he's probably pretty well along in years because he received this promise, this prophecy that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
And so one of the first things he says is, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He's like, finally, I can die. Yeah, he knows he's towards the end. And so there's this one account that Simeon is one of the 70 translators of the Greek Old Testament. The Greek Old Testament is called the Septuagint, which is a word meaning 70, because there's this story that there were 70 translators who went off to translate the first five books of the Bible from Hebrew into Greek. Mm-hmm. And they independently worked on this, and they came together. And by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the translations all matched letter for letter. Hmm. And if you don't know much about translating, that's Pretty crazy. much impossible. Yeah. yeah, that would be nothing short of a miracle. And whether or not you, know, you believe this story... Uh, what we see is that as they go on to translate the rest of the Old Testament and and break into teams, do that in different ways, um, there is this problem that they have to solve in Isaiah 7.14. There's this prophecy that a young woman or a virgin, depending on how you translate it, will conceive and give birth to the Messiah. And so as the story goes, there's a translator named Simeon. Hmm who translates this in Greek as young woman will conceive. And that works with the Hebrew. That's totally fine. But the reason he chooses that over virgin is because he says, well, a virgin birth is impossible. So clearly this must mean a young woman will conceive and give birth to the Messiah. And an angel appears to him and says, you have little faith. The Messiah will be born of a virgin and you're not going to die until you see it. Hmm. And so as the story goes... This translator, Simeon, is now 360 years old, and he's in the temple, and he sees the Lord, and he says, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, and finally breathes his last breath. And this story, it's written down in a work called The Lives of the Saints in um, what's called the Synexarian of the Coptic Church. So this is the tradition of Uh, Christians in Egypt that goes all the way back to the early church that could just be a fun story, but that's one option. I like that option. Now, it's a little crazy because it's hard to imagine someone who's 360 years old, but, you know, know, me of little faith. (laughs) I, you did something in that story that I think is really interesting. Uh, You learned from Zechariah and you said that, that uh, you didn't say that Simeon was old. You said he was well along in years, <laughs> which is the word that uh, the phrase that Zechariah uses in the first chapter of Luke when when he finds that his wife Elizabeth is going to have a child. He says, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, but my wife is well along in years. And uh, so well done using, yes. using learning those turns of phrase from scripture and putting them into practice. Lovely. Yeah, 360, that is well, well along in years. Yes. That's not even old. That's beyond old. I know. I, that sounds exhausting. <laughs> so there are two other options. Okay. And the second option Let's hear is that this is Simeon ben Hillel. And we've talked before, Ben means son, mm-hmm. like your name, Benjamin. Yes. Son of my right hand. Yes. And so Simeon ben Hillel is a historical figure known... Um, to be alive at this time. And he is Simeon, son of 
Hillel. And so Hillel is this famous rabbi. There were these rabbis, Shammai and Hillel, and there's all sorts of funny stories about them arguing over different things. And so Hillel's son, Simeon, Hillel dies in the year 10, 10 AD. And this right here would be, um, you know, probably around, you know, January, February of 2 BC. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I imagine just reading the story that Simeon's an old man. Um, but if Simeon's dad doesn't die for another 12 years, then that'd probably put him a little young. But what's cool about Simeon ben Hillel is that Simeon's son, so this is Hillel's grandkid, Gamaliel, mm-hmm. we read about all over the book of Acts. Yes. And he's this Pharisee that is supportive of the Christian movement. Yep. And so you'd have this, you know, Hillel, this great Jewish rabbi and teacher who says a lot of things similar to the Sermon on the Mount and is setting the stage for the birth of Christ. And then his son, Simeon, comes along and has this, you know, prophecy over Jesus where he says a light, you know, for the Gentiles, you know, in the sight of all nations. There's this, this great excitement. And then his son, Gamaliel, is supporting the early church and is one of the Pharisees to say, this Jesus, he's our Messiah. He's the Messiah of the Pharisees. He's the one we've been waiting for. And so you have this kind of holy family going on in these three generations. I like that option too. I do too. And so, and Luke wrote Acts too, right? Yep, exactly. One story. There's another connection there. So if you got Simeon here and, you know, Gamaliel there, you're like, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. that tracks. Yep. Okay, how about number three? The third option is this is a different Simeon. A Simeon that we don't know from other stories. A Simeon that isn't the Simeon of the, you know, Septuagint or the Simeon of, you know, Hillel's family. Um, This is Simeon the prophet who enters into our knowledge um, of salvation history only for this moment. Who lived a life that's largely been lost to history. But here at the end of his life, he's been given this promise that he will not die before he's seen the Lord's Messiah. And it's fulfilled. And he gives this beautiful song saying that Jesus will bring salvation, not just to the people of Israel, but to all nations. And so for the first option, I mean, wow, 360 years old, that, that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. The second option you know, that his dad would die, you know, 12 years after the story makes me think maybe he's a little too young. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this third option, well, you know, I mean, you know, that's just a simple, you know, if it's not the first or the second, then it's someone else. But, yep. you know, I think it's fun to consider who is this man, Simeon, um, but perhaps more important, what is the message that he brings? Yeah. Well, I think it's it's always important for us to remember that when we read scripture, these are real people rooted in history, right? And so to have a backstory is 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 a nice way to be able to do that, to give us that realization. Um What do you think would be the coolest of the three? I, I think you know? if he was three hundred and sixty years old, that would be pretty awesome. And if he was a translator of the Septuagint, that would be pretty cool. Um but like you said, I think who is less important than what the message that he carries, which is that 
salvation has come and who is it for? It's for all nations, for all people. Then he turns to Mary and he says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. We see that with the Pharisees. You know, those who recognize Christ and those who reject him. And to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So he turns to Mary and says that this child will bring you great suffering. And we certainly know that that is true. To be that mother watching her son be crucified. Yeah. A sword pierces her heart. Yeah, you think about Mary and Joseph, new parents, 41-year-old, or 41-day-old child, and to hear all of this and to know the weight that's on their own shoulders and the burden of of raising raising a baby, but also the future that this baby holds is is a pretty serious one that will affect them in a lot of profound ways too. Anna. Scene three. Who is Anna? Anna. Well, we're told who Anna is. She is the daughter of Samuel, Fanuel, yes. Henuel, uh, and uh, he's of the tribe of Asher. And so Asher, that's the eighth kid of Israel. And eight, that's you know a really important number in this time as you know Jewish symbolism is really taking off. And eight is this number of new creation, of rebirth, because God created the world in these seven days, the seventh day of rest, and then the cycles renewed on the eighth. And that's actually why we worship on Sunday. It's the eighth day. It's this day of resurrection this new creation. And so she here kind of setting up, you know, we have this prophetess of the tribe of Asher. She's very old. She's lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then, and there's a note here. If you're reading along in the NIV, it says, and then was a widow until she was 84. Follow the footnote. It says, or then had been a widow for 84 years. And so there's a reason for that. The word here in the Greek, I think, is the longest word in the Greek New Testament. It's agdoekon to tesselon. I think I said that wrong. Agdoekon to tesseron. There we go. And that's one word. Agdoekon to tesseron. It's a big word. Is eight syllables long. And the word means of 84. So she's a widow of 84. And there are two ways to take that. Uh-huh. Either... So she got married probably around 14, and then she was married for seven years, became a widow at 21, and decided to stay a widow, even though this, these are the prime years of her life. And she's been a widow now for 84 years. Or you could take it that she is a widow of 84, a widow who is 84 years old. Right. That makes sense. Now, there's a reason it matters is because if you add up those years, you know, Gets married at 14, married for seven years, and that's customary for her time and her station. And then is a widow for 84 years. That exactly mirrors this story that was uh, really popular in her day called Judith. And so Judith, she is um, a widow. 
who dies at 105, and these years add up to 105. So Anna would be 105, Judith dies at 105, and Judith is one of these books that are written between the end of the Hebrew Bible and the start of the Greek New Testament. So they're in what we call the Apocrypha. There's this book called Judith. It's the story of this woman who, she loses her husband early. She's very beautiful. There's this king who wants to conquer Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And so she goes out to the king and tries to negotiate peace. And he's like, wow, you are stunning. Be my wife. And she says, no, but don't invade us, please. And he says, you're stunning. Be my wife. She says, no, but you know, don't invade us, please. He asks, she says, you know, here, you know, go have some wine, engage in festivities, head to your tent. I'll meet you there. She heads into the tent. He's drunk, takes a sword, cuts off his head, and she saves Israel. Hmm. That's brutal. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's quite the story. It's very Esther-like, but then it's got kind of that twist at the end. And at the end of her life, she's 105, and she has dedicated herself to the Lord, and she has never taken a husband since the husband of her youth. And so Anna here, being 105, if you take that incredibly long word of 84 that way, um, you have these same connections. She never left the temple, Hmm. but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So like Judith, she's this figure saying that Israel is going to be rescued. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does something about it. She devotes her life to the worship of God. And so is she 84? Is she 105? That's flexible from the text. Um, but if she's 105, there might be some echoes of the story, Judith, that was really popular in this day. So with with things like that and the background of Simeon, um, it's really interesting. The text tells us everything we need to know, and that extra stuff gives us a depth. Yeah. Right? So what do you think about that? Or what's your... I mean, it's fascinating stuff. Um, as a so, so people reading this um, when it was written, most of those things would probably come right to the surface for them. For us, they don't. But we still get the get the story right yeah i i picture mary pulling out her scrapbook as you know luke's come to pay her a visit and you know maybe paints a picture of her if uh if you want to look that up that's kind of neat all of the pictures of her that are attributed to saint luke they have this long nose Hmm. and so you know it looks like maybe it's painting the same woman so that's kind of neat um but you know he's interviewing her at the very least we've got that here and it's like she takes out the scrapbook and she's like look Everything from his baby book mm-hmm. points to him not being just any baby. Mm-hmm. It points to him being the savior of the world. Mm. It points to him being the one who fulfilled the law, circumcised on behalf of the nations. It points to this prophecy that Simeon received that said that he would be the light to all nations. It points to um, this woman's prayers who dedicated her lives to the temple, and she sees and sees this child and says that, he will be redemption for Jerusalem. And I think it's really neat because these stories, Simeon and Anna, they parallel salvation coming to the Gentiles and mm-hmm. the Jews. Mm-hmm. Because Simeon, his whole story is pointing to, if he's a translator of the Septuagint, right, he's trying to 
bring the Hebrew scriptures into Greek to yep. bring it to the world, right? Yep. Yep. And he says, This this baby, he's gonna save every nation. And Anna, if she's paralleling Judith, who saves specifically the nation of Israel from destruction, it's like, yeah, and he's saving us too. He's saving the nation of Israel. And you have this picture right at the very start. She's like, look in the scrapbook. My baby mm-hmm. is the savior of the world. Mm-hmm. Like he was already the savior of the world at eight days old, mm-hmm. at 41 days old. Can you just see this mother's face beaming with pride? She said, I had the incredible gift of being the mother of God. And I almost uh, hear Simeon and Anna speaking to us in the words of the Christmas hymn, do you see what I see? And that's the question that I ask of you and I and also all of our listeners. That's the challenge for us this Christmas and every Christmas is Simeon is there in the temple. He sees this baby and he recognizes this baby for who it is. The same with Anna. She recognizes this baby for who he is. When we see that baby, that Christ child, do we recognize him? Do we see him? We'll leave you with that thought. Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. We hope, we pray that you see this child and that you realize this child is the hope and salvation of the world. We're back again next week. I invite you to like, to share, to spread the word about this deeply rooted podcast. We hope you have a very, very Merry Christmas and a good and blessed new year. If you want to know more about hope, visit us on our website at fargohope.org. And in the meantime, stay deeply rooted. <laughs>